What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing how good will Michigan State football be this upcoming college football season? Is Auburn football going to be a dumpster fire? How good will the Denver Broncos defense be? And how good will the Atlanta Falcons offense be in 2022? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Instagram at JT Sports underscore and on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. And lastly, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Now, every year during the college football season, there is always a team that has low expectations going into the season that ends up exceeding those expectations and having a Cinderella run of a season. And 2020, that team was Indiana. The year before that, we had Minnesota. And last season, it was Michigan State. Now, not too many people... We're expecting much out of the Spartans going into the 2021 college football season. Well, Mel Tucker kicked the door down and this team went 11 and 2 and they won the Peach Bowl. So how good is Michigan State football going to be in 2022 year three under head coach Mel Tucker? Now, their over under win total currently is at seven and a half wins. So... Vegas thinks that this program is going to kind of sizzle down a little bit, right? Then you also have to question who's going to be replacing star running back Kenneth Walker. Now, you do have some pretty good candidates there at running back. You hit the transfer portal pretty hard. You have Jarek Broussard, who is a transfer from the University of Colorado. And you have Jalen Berger, who is a transfer from Wisconsin. You also have a pretty good amount of depth at the running back position. Now, are any of these guys going to be able to replicate the success that Kenneth Walker had last year? Maybe not maybe so however you don't really need anybody to have a season that Kenneth Walker had last year because you do have good depth and you do have a deep enough running back room that you should be able to rotate guys in and still have a lot of productivity on the ground you also have quarterback Peyton Thorne who is going into this season as one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, probably the second best quarterback in the Big Ten behind C.J. Stroud, in my opinion. At wide receiver, probably going to be another question. You do have Jalen Reed, who's coming back. He is your star wide receiver for this year. He also is one of the best returners in all of college football. Last season, he led the team in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. But the question behind him is, is who's going to step up and become that wide receiver too with the loss of Jalen Naylor to the NFL. Now you have Trey Mosley, you have Foster, Coleman, and you also have a good amount of true freshmen wide receivers who are going to be able to come in and compete for some early playing time. You have Antonio Gates Jr., who was a four-star recruit. I was today's years old when I found out that Antonio Gates actually had a son. 
didn't really know that. You have Bernard, who also was a four-star, Jaron Glover, Terrell Henry. So you have a pretty good incoming freshman group of wide receivers. And I am expecting at least one or two of these guys to have a significant impact right away this season. At tight end, you're pretty set there. Your offensive line probably is your biggest concern if you are a Spartans fan because not only did you lose a good amount of talent, but you also lost a good amount of depth as well. And going into this year, whoever you're going to be rolling with as your starters, there's not going to be a lot of proven experience there. So that unit is a huge question mark. However, they did add some transfers from the transfer portal to help bluster this position. However, I definitely think that it's more than fair to expect this group to have a drop off and play this season. On the defensive side of the ball, your defensive line is probably your deepest and most talented position that you have on this side of the football, okay? Jacob Slade, you also have Jeff P. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I know how to pronounce it. Like, you guys ever had a word that you know how to pronounce it, but it just doesn't roll off the tongue properly? Yeah, this is one of those last names. But you have him, Jeff P., and at linebacker, you have Cal Holiday. So your front seven, I think, is going to be pretty good. The biggest concern probably is going to be cornerback. And I mean, you know that if you are a Michigan State fan, that the pass defense can only go up. It can't get no worse than what it was last season. This was one of the, if not the worst, pass defense in college football in 2021 and I was actually surprised that this program was able to have the kind of season they had despite the fact that their pass defense was not that great because in this day and age of college football you have so many teams who are spreading the ball out they're throwing the ball 30 40 times a game so if you can't stop the pass more times than not it's going to be really hard for you to win more than 10 games in the season but with Michigan State having so good of an offense they were able to outscore teams if need be but one thing that if you are a Spartans fan that you're probably going to say in the comment section is that you know JT like you just said we were so bad last year the only way is up we can't go no lower and that is true and this group does return a good amount of experience. However, just because you return a lot of experience doesn't always mean improvement because the guys that he had last year who was starting weren't all that great. So you did bring in Amir Speed from the transfer portal. He is a transfer from the University of Georgia. I'm a big fan of Amir Speed. He hails from the city of Jacksonville. I also hail from the city of Jacksonville, so I have watched Amir Speed throughout high school during his time at Sandalwood when he went to Georgia. So I think that with him coming in, you're definitely going to get a major improvement there. He's going to come in and be able to be your best cornerback or your second best cornerback. And then top of that in with hopefully some development that you're able to get there at the defensive back position, that should also help you out as well. You do have safety Xavier Henderson who returns I think he's going to be pretty good this season as well so for Michigan State 
if you take a look at this schedule, right, they're out of conference. You start the year off against Western Michigan and Nacron. Okay, so you should most likely be 2-0, bearing something catastrophic happening when you go on the road to face Washington. And that's probably going to be one of your biggest early tests of the year because Washington is a team that I think some people are kind of sleeping on. This program has been kind of down over the last couple of years, but I don't think it's down to the point that they have to do a major rebuild. I definitely think that Washington could end up winning eight games this season. So that's going to be a really tough matchup for Michigan State really early into the college football season. Plus, you have to go on the road to play that game. Then you have Minnesota. Minnesota is a tricky team this year. I think Michigan State probably most likely should be able to pull off that win. But then you have to play Maryland. Then you have Ohio. Iowa State, but you do play them at home, and you do get to play Wisconsin. Also, you don't have to travel on the road to play them. Then you're playing your arch rival, Michigan, on the road there in Ann Arbor. However, you do get the luxury of playing them. Despite the fact that it's on the road, you're coming off a bye there. And Mel Tucker has had Coach Harbaugh's number. He's 2-0 against Coach Harbaugh. So he has a really good game plan when it comes to how he plays and how his team plays against the Wolverines. Then after that Michigan game, you kind of get a pretty easy three-game stretch there. Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana. I don't know about Indiana this year. I think that you know, that team is going to have a lot of fighting spirit considering the fact that they love their head coach. However... That is a program that right now is devoid at a lot of talent, and they don't really have great depth there. So that definitely is a pretty winnable three-game stretch that you have there. Then to end the season, you have to go on the road to play Penn State. That's going to be really tough. So looking at Michigan State, right, when I look at their schedule, I think I could see this team winning eight games. That's probably where my prediction is going to be. I don't think they're going to end up winning double-digit games this season again like they did last year. If Mel Tucker is able to get the Spartans to another back-to-back double-digit winning season, just go ahead and give him coach of the year, okay? Because it's not as if this team is bad. Okay, this team actually is pretty talented. I like what they have on the offensive side of the football. However, their offensive line definitely does concern me. And the cornerback position, although it is going to improve, you got to ask yourself how much. And Michigan got better compared to what they were last season on offense. They're going to be even better this season, even though they did lose David Ojabu and Aiden Hutchison on the defensive side of the football, plus Daxton Hill. Michigan does a pretty good job at replacing talent on defense. So Michigan definitely is going to be really good. There definitely could be an upset there. Well, maybe not an upset to Michigan fans, but there definitely could be a possibility of Michigan finally being able to pull one off against Michigan State for the first time in a while. So Ohio State is going to be Ohio State. So for Michigan State, I think I'll probably have them at eight wins. I definitely think that nine will probably be the ceiling and my floor probably could be seven.
and anything less than seven kind of would be a surprise to me just because when you have a quarterback who's pretty talented and Peyton Thorne normally if you give them a average or above average supporting cast you should be able to win seven games at least and I think with Peyton Thorne having a pretty good group of wide receivers plus you have a lot of talent and depth at the running back position I think this offense should be able to have a similar amount of success compared to what they had last year however the offense probably won't be as good compared to what they were in 21 simply for the fact that we don't know what we're getting out of the offensive line and the defense hopefully the pass rush is very good that should also help out the secondary as well so I think that we're going to see Michigan State winning eight games this season definitely going to be a pretty big drop off compared to the 11 win season that they produced in 2021 but I just think that this is a offensive line unit that definitely has a lot to prove and overall this is a Michigan State team that is trying to replace some very good players so eight wins is my prediction for the Spartans in 2022 let's move to the SEC Auburn right so this is a team that many people think is going to be in for a pretty terrible season okay Vegas thinks so a lot of the fans think so Brian Harson in year one went six and seven And let's take Auburn's 2021 season into context, right? Even though the record says six and seven, there was a time when I believe they were what, five and two? And then they ended up going on a little bit of a losing streak. And then they had a really close game against Alabama. But you also got to remember that Bo Nix also got banked up during the middle latter half of the season. And once Bo Nix got injured, things just completely fell off the wheels for the Tigers. You had TJ Finley back there at quarterback. He was really inaccurate. Couldn't really get anything going. So... Your wide receivers weren't really all that great. As a matter of fact, Auburn fired their wide receiver coach really early into the season, if I'm not mistaken. So there was a lot going on with Auburn. But despite that, they went 6-7. and seven, And this team, possibly, if the ball would have bounced in their favor in a couple of their matchups, they possibly could have ended up winning maybe seven, eight games year one under Brian Harrison. Because if you go back and you recall some of those Auburn games, there were really only two games that they weren't really all that competitive, and that was against Texas A&M and against Georgia. So other than those two games, this was a program that hung around with almost every single team they played against. You go back to that Penn State game, that was a one-possession loss. You were able to hang around with Alabama, the second best team in college football from last season, which surprised everybody. And then despite that, in the offseason, there's a lot of controversy when it comes to Brian Harsons. You have um, boosters or whatever trying to get them fired. And I just kind of feel bad for Brian Harsons because... This is somebody who definitely showed me a lot of promise last year. I know he probably wasn't the best hire in a lot of people's eyes. A lot of people feel that Auburn mishandled the Gus Malzahn firing. And I can understand that. But I kind of feel that Brian Harsons is 
put in the box this year, right? It's as if his back is against the wall because I don't really think he's being put in a fair situation because this is a Auburn program that many people feel doesn't have that much talent. And if you feel that way, I kind of got to disagree with you. I think that Auburn is a little bit better than what some people are giving credit for. And we're going to dive into the roster in a little bit, but I still got to talk about this Brian Harson situation because it's really strange. It really is. It's not as if he had a bad season last year. As a matter of fact, I thought that year one was pretty successful, had a pretty solid recruiting class. I mean, yeah, you went six and seven, you lost to Houston in your bowl game, but I mean, there were a lot of games that were tightly contested. So I'm not really understanding why we're having this discussion about Brian Harsons and his job security, but we are. And it's kind of as if how many games does Brian Harsons have to win for him to keep his job? Honestly, because this is just a really odd situation. And I've been watching college football for 10 years. I'm only 20 years old, right? So I haven't really been able to recall a situation like this ever. You get what I'm saying? Now, I know a lot of you older Auburn fans and you older college football fanatics out there are probably going to be able to give me some history lessons down in the comment section, but I just haven't really seen a situation like this. And I kind of feel bad for Brian Harsons. But one thing about Auburn, and I am able to remember, is that every time it seems as if Auburn is going to be in for a bad season... That's when magically they play some of their best football. It's really odd. But looking at this team, right, their over-under win total is five and a half. But talent-wise, I don't think this team is all that bad. The offensive line should be pretty solid. It has potential to be very good. You have a good amount of experience there. So the offensive line is going to be pretty solid. Wide receiver, Cedric Johnson, Malcolm Johnson Jr., Javarius Johnson there. I think that those are three wide receivers who you are going to see a major improvement when it comes to their productivity. And the reason why I feel this way about the wide receiving core is because you bring in a new wide receiver coach and Ike Hillard. Now, I'm really familiar with Ike Hillard because he served on the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff as their wide receiver coach, and I am a Steelers fan, and he had a huge, huge contribution when it comes to the development of wide receivers such as Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. As a matter of fact, Deontay Johnson is coming off his first ever Pro Bowl appearance. He's in line for a big contract, rather it be with Pittsburgh or elsewhere. Then he also spent time on Washington staff. He helped with the development of Terry McLaurin. So for Auburn, you have a pretty good wide receiver coach. And not only do you have a pretty good one, but you have one that has a proven track record of being able to develop wide receivers. So I think that is only right to expect the wide receiver position to have a major jump up and improvement. Your tight end position also is pretty good as well. The big question when it comes to offense, right? We already know that this is probably going to be the Tank Bigsby show this year. It's going to be Tanks Bigsby. Then you're going to have Jaquaz Hunter who comes in every once in a while to give him a little bit of a break. So the offense is going to run through the run game. 
No pun intended. But who's going to be the guy calling the shots underneath center? You have TJ Finley, Zach Kazada, transfer from Texas A&M, and you have Oregon transfer, Robbie Ashford. And now, there isn't really a clear leader in the doghouse. There's people who believe that Zach Kazada is going to end up being the starter. There's people who think that Robbie Ashford is going to end up being the starter. And nobody's even talking about TJ Finley and... I can understand why. Unless he just has a miracle run during fall camp, I don't think he's going to end up being the starter. However, I do think that he has a lot of potential, and I am somebody who is big on potential. So if his accuracy can improve, then, yeah, he'll have a huge a huge slice of the pie in this debate. But mainly, many Auburn fans think that's coming down to Zach Calzada and Robbie Ashford. And probably the betting favorite most likely would be Calzada because this is somebody who had a pretty solid season last year for Texas A&M considering the fact that he wasn't even slated to be the starting quarterback for the Aggies last year. I believe Haynes King was and he got injured and that pretty much inserted Calzada into the starting role. And you look at the performances that he had last year, he was pretty solid. Now, he did have some games where he was off, and when he was off, he was off. But when he was on, he was on. And a good example of that was in their upset win against Alabama. I mean, the dude had the game of his life. And when you're trying to pull off upset against one of the big dogs in college football, such as Ohio State or Alabama, it takes a Herculean effort from not only your whole entire squad, but from your quarterback. And Zach Calzado was just laying it out all on the line in that game. I believe he was a little bit banked up, didn't matter. I mean, the dude was just the man in that game. So for Calzado, he's the kind of quarterback that, I could see Auburn starting and rattling behind because Auburn is a program to me that that's tough. This is a tough football team. This is normally a program that fights the pretty competitive more times than not. And they always come out of nowhere when you least expect them to be like this season. This is the perfect year for Auburn to do a Auburn. And I think that Zach Kazada is the perfect quarterback who kind of embodies what this program has been over the last couple of years. Tough, hard nose. I think that Zach Kazada is the perfect embodiment of Auburn football over the last couple of years. So I think that he probably will end up being the starting quarterback. And if he is, I think that you're going to get pretty solid play out of him. Bo Nix had the best season of his career last season he transferred to Oregon and I think that Brian Harsons is pretty good when it comes to working with quarterbacks and getting the most out of every single quarterback that he has had during his head coaching career up to this point so I think that we could see Zach Hazada take a major step up in improvement this year and it's not as if he was bad last year he was with Jimbo Fisher who we all regard to be a quarterback guru so for Calzada, I definitely think that if he ends up winning the starting job, that's definitely going to help out Auburn. On the defensive side, you have a lot of talent when it comes to your defensive line. One of the best in the SEC. And I've been saying that a lot, a long time over the course of this offseason, doing these segments. 
talking about these SEC schools because there are so many SEC schools this season that have very great depth and talent on the defensive line, and Auburn's no different. Derrick Hall had nine sacks last season. Kobe Wooden had five sacks last year. You also have linebacker Owen Papo. Your cornerback position is a little bit of a concern. Who's going to end up replacing Roger McCrary, who left for the NFL? You do have Oregon transfer DJ James coming off the best season of his career with the Ducks. You also have Pritchard there. So I think that your secondary is also going to be pretty solid. You have Zion Puckett there at safety, one of the better safeties in the SEC this year. So for Auburn, when you look at their schedule, Their schedule isn't the easiest. You do get the luxury of playing Mercer and San Jose State, San Jose State, excuse me. So those are a couple of tune-up games to get you ready before you have to play Penn State. Now you do have the luxury of playing Penn State at home, then you play Missouri. So even if you don't beat Penn State, you should be able to go... 3-1 3-1 heading into that LSU matchup because I don't think that Missouri is going to be good this year. As a matter of fact, if you want to talk about a team that could end up being a dumpster fire this year, I think it could most likely be Mizzou. Then you have to play LSU. And this is a really intriguing matchup because you have an LSU team that this year, it seems as if nobody can get a proper reading on them. It's either they're going to be really good or they're going to win six games, maybe seven at best, depending on how it goes. So that's going to be a really exciting matchup. Then you have to face Georgia. I don't think anybody sees Georgia getting upset by Auburn, especially with it being at Georgia. Then you have to play Ole Miss. So I really think that there's not really too many games that I see on the schedule for Auburn that I don't think that they don't have a legitimate chance of being able to win outside of Arkansas and Alabama and Georgia. That's pretty much about it. So for me, I kind of think that they could end up winning maybe eight, nine games. And I know nine games may seem as if I'm, I'm jumping for the ceiling, but, you know, this is a program that always plays their best when it seems as if they're down. It seems as if when the world counts out Auburn football, that's when Auburn football just jumps out and just surprises everybody. And I know that that happened when they had the Gus bus, and maybe that won't happen under Brian Harsons, but... You know, I'm kind of rooting for Brian Harson, so I'm not even going to lie. I'm just a little bit biased. Not fully biased, but I'm just a tad bit biased because, I mean, I don't really feel Brian Harson is in a fair situation, and I really want to see him succeed. I'm somebody who roots for the underdog, and I think that Brian Harson, if you are looking for a team to rally behind this year, or not even a team, if you're just looking for a head coach to rally behind It probably would be Brian Harsons, man, because I feel he's in a lose-lose situation. And the only way that this situation is going to end up being in his favor with him staying as the head coach of this program for the foreseeable future is if Auburn's able to win seven or more games this year. So the over-unders at five and a half, I think they're going to kick that down. And I think that they're going to have a solid season or fantastic season when you consider the expectations that people have 
I think that they're going to end up winning either eight or nine games this year. So let me know how you guys feel about Auburn football down in the comment section down below. Do you guys feel that Auburn could end up shocking the world this year? Let me know down in the comment section down below if you're listening to the podcast on YouTube. Also remember that you can check out the JT Sports Podcast on every single podcasting platform. Every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on podcasting platforms such as Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. In 2021, the Denver Broncos had one of the best defenses in the NFL. They were second in points per game allowed with 18.9. And they were ninth in the NFL in yards per game allowed, only giving up 326.1 yards per game. But with the departure or the firing of former head coach Vic Vangio, how good is this defense going to be without him? Well, it probably was the best thing for Denver to go ahead and get somebody who was from his coaching tree. Um, their new defensive coordinator, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, It's just one of those names that I know how to pronounce. It just doesn't roll off the tongue right. So don't get upset at me. Get mad at the public school system in Florida that has failed me for my inability to properly be able to pronounce certain words. But we're just going to call him Coach EJ because that's what the majority of the Denver Broncos players refer to him as. So Coach EJ it is. So Coach EJ has spent time on... The Rams coaching staff over the last couple of seasons, he also has spent time under Vic Vangio on his staff when he was with the 49ers. So the scheme and defense will not be all that different, which is a plus. There have been a couple of Denver Broncos players who have spoke out about this, saying that the terminology is just slightly different and the verbiage, but from the play calling and the schematic side of things, things haven't really changed all that much. So with the defense pretty much staying the same, it's only right to expect that the defense should still be able to have the success that they had last season. Now, one thing that we do have to also take into account is that, you know, the play calling might be a little bit different. So Just because that the defense isn't really changing too much, we still have to see just how good of a play caller Coach EJ is. But I think it's fair to assume that this defense definitely should be able to pick up from where it left off last year. If anything, it just should just see a slight reduction in productivity. My biggest question is going to be, is the third down defense going to improve? And when you're talking about the third down defense... You have to you have to ask yourself how good is your team at getting pressure on the quarterback, right? Because the majority of teams who are good at getting off the field on third down are able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback. Last year Denver was 28th in the NFL and third down defense they allowed teams to convert on third down 44.89% of the time. And they were 18th in sacks per game. Now, when you look at some of the teams that were really good at getting off the field on third down, such as the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Rams, and the Titans, one thing that they all had in common was that they were 
top five in the NFL and sacks per game. So if you can get consistent pressure on the QB, more times than not, you're going to be really good at getting off the field in third down situations because most of the time, teams in third down situations are put in obvious passing situations. You're either in third and medium or third and long situations, which is probably either third and six or maybe third and eight is probably the league average there. So for this to improve, you're banging on Bradley Chubb being able to stay healthy. If Bradley Chubb can stay healthy, that's going to help out. You also signed former Dallas Cowboys pass rusher Randy Gregory. You do have Draymond Jones, who is coming off a five and a half sack performance from 2021. And then that leads me to my next question is, can Randy Gregory become a double-digit pass rusher a double digit sack pass rusher I should add because during his time in Dallas we've only really seen him have more than six sacks never that pretty much has been his career high now last year you probably could make the argument to say that well JT he only played in 12 games so if he would have played the whole entire season he probably would have came close to having 10 sacks which I can understand that but if you're paying somebody this kind of money you're expecting not only a double-digit sack guy, but you're also expecting somebody who is basically Pro Bowl caliber. Also, what is the depth that Denver has? Because with the injury history of Bradley Chubb, you definitely don't want to handcuff yourself to him, and we all can't predict injuries. However, when you have somebody that does have a tendency of being able to get injured more times than not, you definitely would love to have a solid backup just in case. So where's the depth there at the pass rush position is my question. I'm not saying that they don't have it. I'm just wondering, where is it? At cornerback, your secondary is pretty good. Patrick Sertan probably was the best rookie cornerback in the NFL last year. It's only right to expect him to continue to improve. He'll probably end up becoming a top five cornerback this season. You got Ronald Darby there. Kawan Williams is slated to be your starting slot corner this year. So I think your cornerback position is pretty okay. Even though I felt I would have liked for Denver to upgrade a little bit when it came from Ronald Darby. I don't think he's bad, but I kind of would have loved them to pair Patrick Tano with another good corner. But I don't think their cornerback position is too bad. I think it's pretty solid. Safety, you bring back Kareem Jackson. You have Justin Simmons there. So that's a really good safety tandem. Inside linebacker, you got Joel. You got Jonas Griffith, who... Was one of the more bigger surprises on Denver's defense last year. This is somebody who was kind of traded or brought in to be a special teams guy. He ended up being very good, really good against the run, great in pass coverage. So there are many different Broncos fans who feel that Jonas Griffith is going to be in for a breakout season. So for this defense, I think that this most likely will be a top 10 unit. And this defense is going to be better than what it was last season. Soon before the fact that the offense last year wasn't great. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great, as I mentioned. And my Broncos offensive breakdown, make sure that you guys go ahead and check out that segment. But the offense has some times where it really couldn't get anything going. And when you have that, and I say this all the time, it's getting kind of redundant, but I have to keep on reinstilling this to people. You know, 
your defense sometimes has a tendency to underperform when your offense isn't great and your offense can't sustain drives. When you have an offense that's going three and out and can't really stay on the field all that long, it puts your defense in situations where they end up being on the field more plays than what they have to. And when your defense is on the field for more plays, guys get tired, they get gas, and that's how you end up giving up big plays. Last year, Denver Denver's offense wasn't, it was average, right? So with the addition of Russell Wilson, and you bring in head coach Nathaniel Hackett, an offensive-minded head coach who's going to be calling the plays, we expect the offense to be really good. And with the offense being better than what it was last season, that's going to help out the defense because they're going to be on the field for way less snaps, which is going to give them more time to recover on the sidelines. And it should help improve their overall performance. And I expect Bradley Chubb to end up bouncing back to his former self when he was putting up double-digit sack numbers and when he was a pro bowler. So I think now the Broncos' defense should still be a top-10 defense this year, despite the fact that they lost Vic Vanjo. It was really smart of Coach Hackett to bring in somebody coming from that similar coach and tree who has a lot of familiarity with what Vic Vanjo loves to do. And of course, Coach EJ is probably going to add his own spin on things. So it's only right to expect this defense to be pretty good. May not be a top five defense like what it was last season, but it shouldn't be no worse than top 10. Now, the last thing that we have to talk about How good will the Atlanta Falcons offense be this upcoming NFL season? Now, I have avoided talking about the Atlanta Falcons pretty much all offseason, right? And I have had a good amount of Falcons fans asking me about the offense for the last couple of weeks. And I guess I can't keep running no more. So, when you look at Atlanta's offense last year, it was really underwhelming okay this was one of the worst offenses in the NFL they were 26 in points per game they were 29th in yards per game I mean you had old man Matt Ryan back there and I'm glad he got traded and the reason why I'm glad he got traded is because he was in a unfair situation that somebody of his age and his stature should never be in at that point of his career Matt Ryan deserved to go somewhere where he has a chance to compete for a Super Bowl. So I'm glad that he got shipped off to Indianapolis. And I'm pretty sure Falcons fans were more than ready to part ways with Matt Ryan. Even though there were a couple of Falcons fans, I'm pretty sure, who shed a tear. Because I feel that Matt Ryan was kind of underappreciated in a sense. I think that many people gloss over the success and how good Matt Ryan was with the Falcons simply for the fact that he was never able to win the big one, which is ultimately what is a lot of people's eyes, the end all be all for you. And even though Matt Ryan never won a Super Bowl, he was still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL for well over a decade. I would consider him a top seven quarterback for the past decade. He was really good in my opinion. But now you move on from Matt Ryan. And you're ushering in the Marcus Mariota slash Desmond Ritter era, right? Now, we don't know who's going to end up starting. If you guys haven't seen really early back in May, I did a segment on the Atlanta Falcons quarterback battle. And my pick was Desmond Ritter. 
And when it comes to Desmond Ritter, there are a lot of mixed reviews about him. There are people who say that he's not ready to start day one, but there are also people coming out during the NFL draft who are saying that Desmond Ritter was the most pro-ready quarterback in the NFL draft. So I don't really know what to make of Desmond Ritter when it comes to the media perception about him. But from what I've seen from Desmond Ritter on film, I definitely see a quarterback who's more than capable capable of being able to start week one for this team. You have a quarterback that has pretty good decision-making, a really good arm, and also has a lot of mobility. He ran a 4-5-2 or 4-5-something during this past year's NFL Combine, so he has a lot of athleticism. The knock on Desmond Ritter is that He's really streaky, and when I say streaky, I mean that there are times when he can go hot and cold during games. There were a good amount of times last season for Cincinnati that Desmond Ritter was really inaccurate at times, and if he starts the game inaccurate, he has a high chance of finishing the game off On the high note, he doesn't have consistent performances during games. His play in games can dwindle sometimes. Sometimes he can play really good, and then he can have stretches where he just flips the switch and he just goes ice cold. So you're hoping that he can be more consistent at the NFL level. Now, he's been getting a lot of rave reviews coming out of minicamp, but every quarterback's been getting rave reviews out of minicamp. I mean, the Patriots are hyping up Mac Jones to be the next coming of Jesus, but... I think that Desmond Ritter could end up winning the starting job. He is my pick to win it. However, you do have Marcus Mariota. Now, it's been a while since Marcus Mariota has been the starting quarterback in the NFL. However, he's been one of the best backup options, so I'm glad that we finally have an opportunity to see him fighting for the shot at being the starting quarterback for Atlanta this year. And I don't think Mariota was ever a bad quarterback during his time in Tennessee His first couple of seasons went pretty well, but the thing with Mariota is that injuries started to catch up with him. He couldn't stay healthy, and that's kind of what derailed his career because many people forget that Marcus Mariota won a playoff game, and it was actually a playoff game that he led Tennessee in the comeback effort from behind. So for Mariota, you have a lot of experience. You have somebody that has won in this league he's won a playoff game so for him you have to wonder how good the supporting cast is around him right and that's really where we get to the meat of the problems for the Atlanta Falcons you look at the offensive line outside of left tackle Jake Matthews and right guard Chris Lindstrom the Falcons offensive line is pretty rough Jalen Mayfield wasn't good last year, and in many people's eyes, he was one of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL. Not just one of the worst offensive guards in the league, but he was one of the worst offensive linemen in the whole entire league. So we knew when he was coming out of college that he was going to be more of a project player. So, of course, he was going to struggle last season. But you are looking to see how much he's going to improve this season. Now, if Jalen Mayfield can just be at least half 
if he can just be two times better than what he was last season, that's major improvement. And if he ends up having a Pro Bowl caliber season, then he definitely should be the most improved player in the NFL. So for Jalen Mayfield, his 2021 campaign was really underwhelming. And we don't really know how much he's going to develop this season. Now, of course, if you're a Falcons fan, you're going to say that Jalen Mayfield is going to develop because you're a Falcons fan. You're biased. So, of course, you're going to be optimistic about him. But for somebody who's not a Falcons fan and doesn't have no biases towards this team, I think that's going to be pretty rough seeing Jalen Mayfield take a lot of steps in improvement because offensive guard is one of those impact positions, right? It's one of those positions that... You draft, and it doesn't really take long to get high production out of there. So I think that this is a really big year for Jalen Mayfield because if he struggles again this season, he'll probably end up being the backup next year. Then when you look at center, I think that Matt Hennessy really is just a backup at best. I don't really think that he's a great starter. So... Your center position isn't really all that great, and that's really important. I don't think a lot of people realize how important it is to have a good center in the NFL. When you look at some of the best offensive lines that we have right now, they all have great centers. The center is the quarterback of the offensive line. He's somebody who helps get everybody in check. He's calling out. Um, he's pretty much quarterback in the old line in a sense. So if you don't have a good center, Nine times out of ten, your offensive line is not going to be that great. He's the communicator. He is the enforcer. He's the sheriff. So the center position doesn't give me a lot of hope. And Caleb McGarry, he's a solid run blocker. But if his pass protection continues to be shaky, then you're probably going to have to end up moving on from Now, you did bring in Jermaine Ifedi there, who is supposed to be competing with Caleb McGarry for that starting right tackle spot. But I still think that Caleb McGarry should end up winning out because I don't think Caleb McGarry is all that bad. I mean, he's a pretty good run blocker. You just would like for him to be a little bit better in pass protection. So for the offensive line, I don't really have a lot of confidence in it. And if the Falcons' offense is going to be good this year, it's all going to start with the big boys up front. You're going to need more than just Chris Lindstrom and Jake Matthews. You're going to need Jalen Mayfield. I think Jalen Mayfield probably is going to be one of the biggest keys because if he can improve, this offensive line is going to be three times better than what it was last year because he was really the Achilles heel of the O-line. Now, Matt Hennessy, you definitely do need him to step up his play. You definitely do need him to play at a really high level because, as I mentioned earlier, all of the great offensive lines in the NFL, they all start at the center position. So if you're not getting good play out of your center, you're not getting good play out of the majority of your starters on the O-line. So... I know there are going to be Falcons fans who are going to say, JT, with the fact that we have a mobile quarterback and Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter, that's going to help out the offensive line because you're going to have somebody who's going to be able to escape outside the pocket and keep plays alive and improvise. And I understand that because one thing about Matt Ryan is that he wasn't the most mobile. He was pretty good moving inside of the pocket, but when things broke down, that was it. That was the play. However, a lot of people have this misconception that just because you have a quarterback that's a good athlete and can run around and extend plays, 
that's going to help out off the line. And that is far from the truth, my friend. If you believe that, then you are sadly misled and mistaken. You better go back and look at how many times Deshaun Watson was sacked during his time with the Houston Texans. And just look at Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has been, what, the most sacked quarterback in the NFL for over a decade. And he's... the probably one of the most elusive quarterbacks that we have in this league so just because you have a quarterback that's good at standing plays and can break the pocket when things break down doesn't mean that's going to improve your offensive line the thing is is that that's good when you can do it on occasions However, if you have to continue to break outside the pocket and extend plays every single play that's a problem and it's not going to win you a lot of games when you're facing teams such as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints that are inside your division. You're going to have to have solid offensive line play if you're even going to have a shot at shocking the world this year and being able to have more success than what you had last year on offense. So I think the biggest key to the offense really is going to be the offensive line. You look at center. Well, you look at the wide receiver position. We're off center now. The wide receiver position is really interesting. You draft Drake London out of USC. You have Brian Edwards, who you traded for, from the Las Vegas Raiders. And you have Auden Tate. And then the slide looks like you're going to have Amalea Zacchaeus and Demary Bird. So the wide receiver position isn't all that great. You do have a lot of young players that have a lot of potential I think that Drake London could end up being a beast. And after we saw the season that Jamar Chase had, um, Justin Jefferson, these rookie wide receivers over the last couple of years have been coming in and they've been going off right away. And for Falcons fans, there are many that have high expectations for Drake London and rightfully so. So if you're one of those Falcons fans that are going to come in and say, man, we got to give Drake London some time. We shouldn't be putting all this pressure on him. Stop talking. We have wide receivers coming in that are breaking records, setting records, doing all kinds of crazy stuff nowadays. So for Drake London, if you're a Falcons fan, you have every right to expect him to be over a 1,000 yards or more this year. If you draft the wide receiver in the top 10, you're expecting him to immediately become one of the better wide receivers at his position. He doesn't have to be top five. He doesn't have to be Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, what they weren't his rookie season, but you at least are expecting him to be Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith was really good last year. He just kept getting overthrown by Jalen Hurts more times than not. So I like Drake London. My question is, is that I don't really think that he creates a lot of separation on his routes. And I definitely think that his route running needs a little bit of some refinement. And that's the same thing that can be said for pretty much all of the outside receivers on Atlanta's roster. Brian Edwards, if you listen to any Las Vegas Raiders fan after the trade, they said that they were sad to see him go. They actually wanted him to get another shot, but many people would say that Brian Edwards struggled to create separation on his routes. This was somebody who was a 50-50 ball maestro, I pretty much call him. And the reason for that, that can be a positive and a negative. If you're good at being able to catch 50-50 balls, that means you're really physical. You're really good at being able to win those one-on-ones outside. However, the downside of that is that if you always have to end up catching 50-50 balls, that probably means that you're not all that great at creating separation. You don't have great long speed downfield. 
So for Brian Edwards, inside of this offense, you're going to have to need him to improve his ability to create separation. Because Marcus Mariota isn't really the greatest quarterback when it comes to throwing the football downfield. I think that he's more better in the short and intermediate range. So... For Brian Edwards, I think that if you're going to see him end up reaching his potential, he has to improve his ability to get off the line, and he has to improve his his ability to create separation from these cornerbacks. You have Alden Tate. Alden Tate is somebody that kind of was held back by Cincinnati simply for the fact that they had so much talent at wide receiver. He's also a physical, big-body wide receiver that can get those 50-50 balls, but as the problem with the other wide receivers is that you don't know how good he is when it comes to creating separation. So for these wide receivers, outside of Drake London, Brian Edwards, Arden Tate, they're not the greatest athletes. So they have to get better when it comes to route running and how they release off the line. You look at slot, I like Amalea Zacchaeus. I think that he is a pretty okay option to have in the slot. I've been watching him from his time in Virginia. I'm rooting for him. I think that he can end up being one of the more better options in the passing game simply for the fact that that's where Marcus Mariota excels at. Then you have the Mary Bird, who probably is the fastest wide receiver that you have on the roster. So those are pretty much the only speed guys that you have. And that's another thing that a lot of people have criticized about the Falcons offense is that they don't have that much speed downfield. So this is really an offense that's going to be predicated on running the football, setting up play action, and trying to get those one-on-ones downfield. Now you do have Kyle Pitts, who is coming off the greatest rookie season that we may have ever seen out of a rookie tight end. And pretty much the majority of the passing game was ran through Kyle Pitts, which was either Kyle Pitts or you was throwing it to Cordell Patterson out of the backfield. So for Kyle Pitts, I'm excited to see what he does in year two with the Falcons. He definitely is going to be the best option that they have in the passing game this year. He's going to get a lot of targets. He's probably going to be over 100 targets, probably going to be maxed out between 120 and 130 targets this year. Because last year, it seemed as if Matt Ryan was just saying F it. Kyle Pitts is somewhere down there if you guys ever seen the meme. And when you look at running back, the run game is definitely going to be really critical or really crucial for the Falcons this season. Because when you listen to Arthur Smith and what he has talked about in terms of what he's looking from what he's looking for out of this offense this season, he said that he doesn't want to be put in a lot of obvious passing situations. And what he's referring to is that when third down comes along, he doesn't want to find himself having to be in third and long situations because then you're off the line, which already isn't all that great. It's put at even more of a disadvantage because now those pass rushers can pin their ears back and play the pass and just go after the quarterback. So your offense is going to be a little bit better when you have a little bit of unpredictability there. So if Atlanta is going to be able to avoid those obvious passing situations. They have to be able to win on the early downs. You have to be able to pick up four or five yards on first down. And it's going to start with that run game. Now, the Falcons had the second worst rushing attack in the NFL last season. They were 31st in rushing yards per game at 85.4. Now, Cordell Patterson, I love him. He was on my fantasy football team last year. He was a major reason why I was able to win some of the championships that I did last year. So I like him. 
And I, even though he isn't really a full-fledged running back, I like what he brings from the Falcons from a schematic standpoint with the fact that he's kind of a big mismatch for most linebackers because you don't really see too many running backs that are as good as running routes from the running back position, such as Cordell Patterson having that wide receiver background. So he's going to be a weapon. He still is going to get the most plays out of any running back in this room simply for the fact that he's probably their best third down option just because he has the best hands. You have Damian Williams who, let's be honest, I mean, he's just there. He's probably going to have a little bit of a role, but honestly, we're really looking at Cordell Patterson who's going to be that scat back for Atlanta and Tyler Ajir, who is a rookie out of BYU, who the Falcons drafted in the fifth round. And there are many Falcons fans who are really excited about Tyler Ajir. He is 5'11", 224 pounds. Even though he doesn't have great speed, he ran a 4-6 during his 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. He's a really tough, physical, gritty runner. He has great vision, phenomenal contact balance. He reminds me a lot of Michael Turner. You Falcons fans remember him? A lot of similarities to Michael Turner. Tough, can churn out those tough yards. He's going to be their short yarders back in goal line situations or in third and inches situation. If there's going to be a short yardage package that Atlanta's going to implement this year, Tyler Algier is going to be part of it. Now, he needs to improve his pass blocking and he needs to become better when it comes to catching the football out of the backfield, if he's going to become the Falcons' full three-down back. Now, you also have Mariota and Desmond Ritter, whoever's going to be the starter. They're also going to be incorporated in the run game as well because one of the reasons why Atlanta's run game was so bad is because Matt Ryan simply didn't have any wills. And that's always been the theme of Matt Ryan's game. He never has been tapped as a mobile quarterback. So the fact that you have two quarterbacks that have the ability to run at a pretty high level, that's going to be incorporated into this offense. So you're probably going to see a lot of read options a lot of design quarterback runs so overall when I'm looking at this offense I don't think this offense is going to be all that great this year I definitely think that the offense probably could be slightly better than what it was last season you're probably going to be in the high 20 range but the offensive line definitely is a big concern I mean, Falcons fans you can pray to the football gods that Jalen Mayfield improves and I mean, improvement is better than no improvement because how he played last year, you'll take anything that you can get. But it's looking really rough. You also have questions at wide receiver. How much separation are they going to be able to create? So this is an offense that they're going to be slightly better. But I mean, I don't think it's going to be enough to merit anything that's going to really shock the world or anything like that. So I think this offense... You know, you do have a lot of promise there with some of the guys. You do have Tyler Ajir, who I like a lot. I'm probably going to be picking him up on a handful of my fantasy football teams. But this offensive line is really going to hold this team back. Because when you have wide receivers who aren't that great at creating separation, you're going to have to give them a little time to get downfield. It's going to take a while. Then also, you're going to have to be able to create holes for these running backs to run through. With the offensive line that Atlanta has right now not really improving all that much, they didn't really improve at all. I just think that this offense is still going to be in for another tough season. So 
You guys let me know how you guys are feeling about the Atlanta Falcons offense going into the upcoming 2022 NFL season. Make sure that you guys check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast.